Hello, beautiful humans, and welcome back to the Just Keep Thriving podcast. This is your host, Johnny Marie Agresta, and today we have a beautiful special guest, Amanda Kuda. She is an alcohol-free expert helping sober curious as well as sober women stop drinking and start manifesting the life of their dreams. She is in the process of writing her first book. She has been on many different podcasts. I believe she has her own podcast. We will give you all of the details at the end, but today we are talking all about how to incorporate um, cutting out alcohol, limiting alcohol in a way that is more aligned for your client outside of just weight loss. Because as we know, when we just make a habit change, just to change weight, it typically doesn't work for very long. And you are here to change the health and happiness of society from an internal place and have um, their external body, their external reality reflect their internal. So I found nobody nobody more perfect than Amanda to talk about alcohol. So Amanda, welcome to the Just Keep Thriving podcast. Oh, thank you, Johnny. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Yay. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I have to start out with like what made you actually dive into the sober curious and just sober community because you don't necessarily approach it from a place of the way we think, you know, people normally have problems, whatever normal means, normal Mm -hmm. problem with alcohol, normal addiction, right? They kind of hit rock bottom and, you know, have to go to rehab. And that's like the only appropriate way to, you know, say someone has a problem with it. And so I'm just curious to know what made you dive into this realm of being alcohol free? Yeah. You know, it was a complete accident. If I'm being honest, it wasn't something that this is not the job that I envisioned for myself. I always knew um, that I was supposed to be a teacher. And within the last 10 years, it became really clear that I excelled as a coach. I I'd explored that in many different iterations and had this vision that I was going to be a mindset and kind of a spiritually led coach at some point, but I really didn't know what my niche was. Right. And in right around the time I turned 30 and I'm 35 now. So about five years ago, I started to have this suspicion that alcohol was no longer something that needed to stay in my life. And that was a really weird feeling because I was pretty certain that I was not addicted to alcohol. And I did like the online quiz where, you know, I I tried to assess if I was addicted just in case, you know, because it runs in my family, just wanted to make sure. And everything came up that I was just a normal social drinker. So I started getting really confused as to why I was having this urge and also what I was supposed to do with it because the community of sobriety is pretty exclusive for at least five years ago, it was pretty exclusive to people who had a substance use disorder or an addiction. And because that wasn't me, I'm like, well, how do I get in this club without meeting the criteria? And so I really took a lot of time to talk myself out of it because I, you know, didn't feel comfortable admitting that I was an alcoholic and going into the, the, you know, the club I'm using quote fingers, the club that is AA, which is tremendously beneficial for someone who does identify in that, in that area, because it's, it's a way to have community. Right. But that wasn't my community. So I felt really like an outsider and it took me a long time to decide, you know, either I could, it seemed like I had two decisions, either I could join AA and be in the club, or I could just keep doing what I was doing because there was no middle road. It seemed like the people who quit drinking were not my type of people. So finally I decided, screw it. This feels so resonant and so important to me that I have to give it a try. So I started exploring the world of what I call elective sobriety, just deciding to quit drinking and something felt really right and interesting. And as I took that journey, I decided to start sharing about it because again, five years ago, there weren't people really discussing sobriety outside the realm of addiction. And as that happened, people started reaching out to me and, you know, finding similarities in their story and mine or in their desire and my story. And they started asking me to coach them and support them. And as someone who was already, you know, exploring a career in coaching and knew and knowing that that's what I wanted to do it just all seemed to flow together. Like this was my message that I had stepped into out of just necessity. And that's how, you know, most people kind of find their path. They develop something that they need that no one else has. And I started coaching women who are sober curious. So women specifically though, who are not feeling like they associate or resonate with the message of AA or addiction or traditional recovery of any sort, but they know they want to quit drinking. And they're number one, intimidated by navigating the world 
alcohol free because it's such a big part of our society, but also they know that there's something else under alcohol that they need to deal with, that they probably need some guidance in. And so I serve as a guide and a mentor to women who want to quit drinking. And then I also, within the last year, started taking on clients who are already alcohol free and want a little additional mentorship in their life on how to up level and really start manifesting that life that they wanted. So it was all an accident, if I'm being honest. That's amazing. It sounds so perfect. They're like, I just feel it when you say how um, you got there and how it was just this thing that deeply resonated with you. And it's like, when you see something, you can't unsee it, right? Mm -hmm. The minute that you pay attention to a a red flag or that that gut feeling, you cannot unsee it as much Mm -hmm. as we would like to try to. We know that that's the path that we need to go down. And I really commend you for honoring that when it definitely is difficult, especially in a world where we use alcohol to connect. Mm -hmm. You know, we use alcohol to connect to ourselves, weirdly, we think we do. Um, We use alcohol to connect to other people, especially for us people like me who feel like we're weirdos and like don't really know how to talk to regular humans. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And alcohol becomes that like, oh, well, you become more open, you become funnier, you become more normal like other people. Or, you know, there's instances where you can overdo it and become completely like nutso or whatever your version mm-hmm. of really drunk is. Yeah. And uh, I really want to point out the fact that you said that you didn't resonate with the typical like AA addiction kind of terminology or criteria. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I'm just curious what that was like for you because I know what that's like for me and I have um my godmother died in 2021 yeah 2021 of earlier this year of an alcohol addiction and Xanax overdose Mm -hmm. and my entire family struggles with um just continuous reliance on substances whether prescribed or whatever and which is fine like you need to take whatever medication you need to like deal with things but there's also healing to do right Mm so Mm -hmm. um i know what it's like for me to experience somebody who is far gone for their entire life Mm -hmm. and see that and in my mind i was like well i'm clearly not like her i'm not falling down the stairs drunk i am not getting into car crashes i don't drive when i'm drunk all of these things and so i definitely resonate with that but i'm curious to know what your experience is like and what your clients experience is like as well yeah i think that so often you know obviously there's the the overt social stigma of what it means to be an alcoholic it's the drunk on the street with a paper their beer in a paper bag someone who's lost their job and lost everything or someone who's hit a tremendous rock bottom everyone is has that picture built in their head but then so many of us like you johnny have a perf- a personal experience um, of a representation of what alcoholism looks like and i had that as well when i was a young girl my parents had divorced and my dad um, remarried and the woman he married was a recovering alcoholic And the thing is on a regular day, she was wonderful. She was so kind and loving and magnanimous and um, intelligent and had lived this worldly life. And she was so like loving and thoughtful to my brother and I, which is not something if you have a, a, a broken family, you know, that that's not always the case. And then as the relationship progressed, she started to dip back into drinking and that was a completely different person. She put my, she put me and my brother in danger several times. She was very hiding and secretive and just checked out. Um, I was writing, you know, earlier this week about an instance that I remember that she, she would take me out on like little excursions. And so one day we went to go window shopping at like a little, you know, store downtown and we went in and she took a whole bunch of blue jeans, like a pile of blue jeans into the dressing room. And I, th- I was like, that's weird. Um, you know, that's, a, that's a lot of blue jeans to try on. What I didn't know until later, she spent a long time in the dressing room. She wasn't there to try on blue jeans. Those blue jeans were a decoy because she had a bottle of vodka in her purse that she was going to drink. And that's really freaking sad. I mean, she had resorted to hating herself so much that she took someone she loved because I know she loved me. I know she wasn't drinking in the dressing room because she hated spending time with me or because she thought I was like a little brat. She was drinking in the dressing room because she hated herself. And to put someone who you love and care for and are charged with their care in danger, that's really deep. That's like you're in a dark spot. And part of me knew this, right? Part of me registered this, even though I didn't really know much about drugs and alcohol at the time. And so when you have that 
representation of something that's really drastic in your mind, sometimes what a really intelligent person will do is say, you know what, I see what happened there and I'm smarter than that. I'm never going to let myself to get to that point. And I didn't, I kind of approached alcohol with the, I'm going to show you, I'm going to make this thing my, my bitch and (laughs) I'm going to drink how I want to, but I'm never going to get to that level. And I never did. But the problem is, is that because I associated quitting or, you know, alcoholism with that, with that example of someone, you know, drinking themselves to oblivion in a dressing room, I made sure that I never got that far, but I was also in drastic denial that I could change and that I could be someone else because I wanted so badly in some level to prove myself that I could take control of this and not get to that level. And so when it came time for me to quit, it was even more volatile because I knew I didn't have a problem, but I also, that doesn't mean that alcohol wasn't problematic because I was definitely drinking more than I wanted to. I was drinking at a very like aggressive social level. So it just was this kind of like double bind in my head of this isn't good for me, but if I quit, am I admitting that I'm as bad as I always said I was never going to get? Right. Yeah. I think that's a a really, number one, thank you for sharing that story. Yeah. Number two, I, I definitely hear that you have this stigma of what it is looks like. And then you say like, I'm never going to be like that person, right? We've all Mm -hmm. had some sort of an addict in our life. And then we decide that if we don't want to take that same path, automatically we're associating ourselves, we're identifying with that person Yeah. versus looking at addiction as just different levels. Like addiction is, it's a normal aspect of our brain, whether it's dopamine hits from our phone or increase in serotonin levels from whatever else it is. It's like, addiction itself is just a natural spiral of of the brain and our hormones and we we respond to that as humans Mm -hmm. it's just like human nature to have some level of addiction to to different things you know and i think what the conversation really not like our conversation but the conversation the world really needs to start pointing to um really understanding why we get addicted to things and how we use things for like not uh not intentful right we have no intention Mm -hmm. behind things the intention is to go out and drink the intention is to you know go on social media really quickly and then it spirals continuously right so it's Mm -hmm. like the conversation around addiction um i think needs to be like put into different layers and levels of just like and, and normalized of like, hey, you're going to be addicted to things, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's coffee, whether it's social media, which is a big one. Everyone like died yesterday because yesterday was the day that Instagram. Yep. Oh yeah. <laughs> Raise my hand too, because I like want so badly to be detached from Instagram, but when it's taken away from me, I'm like, refresh, refresh, refresh. A hundred percent. Right. So it's like this idea of addiction to the media, whatever side you're kind of on at this point, there's apparently sides in the world. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's just, Uh, I think the conversation needs to change. More of us can really access this part of ourselves that's meant to live in a more intentful, mindful, like raw, connected way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would say that it's really interesting because, you know, the people listening to this podcast are health entrepreneurs and health professionals. And so the, the clients that you all are dealing with are people who are seeking for a lifestyle change, seeking for a better way of life. and so often we, we search for a habit change in order to do that when what we probably need is a mindset change. And, you know, you said something um, really interesting that I really associated with um, and resonated with early on that you like identify as a weirdo, as someone who's socially awkward. And I'm like, yes, amen. Raise my hand. And that's actually so many of us. We think we feel different or other than our peers. And so we take on something to help us feel normal And what better way to kind of dole down your eccentric parts of yourself, the actually parts that make you really wonderful, but the parts that you feel are strange and different than to dilute it. So what I would say is that you don't have to be addicted to alcohol. And in fact, you're probably not. Most of the people who you work with are not addicted to alcohol, Um, but what they're addicted to is feeling normal and escaping the feeling of being weird and escaping the feeling of being different. But you're not meant to be normal. No one's meant to be normal. You're meant to stand out and shine in your best presence. So your problem in that sense is not with alcohol. 
Your problem is that you do not have not established the self-worth to be your most authentic self, that you are hiding from your truth and trying so, so hard to blend in with everyone else that you become addicted to blending in when really the beauty of life is if you would just stand out and shine and be who you were meant to be. But we're so freaking afraid of that. And that is what we need. All the health professionals, all of the spiritual leaders, all of the mentors, all of the people who are helpers out there to actually be helping people do is to be their most authentic self, because that's, that's what we need right now. We need everyone showing up fully and people are so obsessed with hiding and fitting in and being small. I mean, what is the diet industry? It's people trying to keep themselves small and we need people to show up big and shine bright. And that, that can only be achieved if we like find ways to boost their self-worth and make them feel good. And, um, sometimes I think we take counterintuitive approaches to that, or we approach it from, um, the wrong way. Yeah, definitely. I love that. It's the, I mean, I, I have, I literally hold a group coaching program called the integrated coach Academy to help health coaches really mm-hmm. dive deep into how to help with worthiness, how mm-hmm. to help with authenticity, like how to get down to that mm-hmm. because of this, because a lot of us see those patterns and we see mm-hmm. that they're numbing out in some way, even if it's mm-hmm. not a physical addiction of like, yeah, stop. It's an emotional addiction to no longer feel right. Mm-hmm. Right. To no longer experience what you're experiencing, whether it's a level of discomfort, whether it's a level of, um, you know, feeling off and like wanting to fit in, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, before I met my current husband, my only husband, actually, before I met my husband, let's just do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I had never, like, I'd really never touched jazz. I never touched jazz, anything like that. And I met him and he was so the complete opposite. He had like, and I like had very few friends and like, we didn't really like have fun in the quote unquote, like normal way. So I mm-hmm. met him and he had all of these friends and they went to music festivals. And I was like, what's a music festival? So I started going, I started getting more involved with all of the things, drugs, weed, alcohol. Um, and like, I just felt myself getting further from myself, but mm-hmm. thinking that there was something wrong with me, right? Thinking mm-hmm. that I was judging people, which I totally was. I was judging them as like not good. And I was way better than you because I don't mm-hmm. touch alcohol, right? Um, and so it was this level of like, well, stop judging other people, you asshole. And just like become them, apparently was the answer. <laughs> and it took me a while to get back to that part of myself that just really honored the fact that I saw that when I did use alcohol, it was from a place of stress or Mm -hmm. it was normalized even in TV shows where it's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, it's a stressful day. Let's just have a glass of wine. Right. I think I'm watching like three or four different TV shows over the past like three months and every single person is just constantly holding a wine glass. Yeah. Like a big wine glass and they make it a funny thing, which is fine. Like I get it. I like wine, but you know what I mean? It's just so normalized. And I saw these patterns and I was like, there's something wrong with me, right? Mm-hmm. Again, instead of me standing on, instead of me being bigger, instead of me accepting myself, um, it was this, like, you have to do this to fit in because there's something mm-hmm. like, it's like almost like the world is so uncomfortable accepting different people because we're so just uncomfortable accepting ourselves. Yeah. Different. Right. And it's actually, it's a really interesting thing because, you know, I like, I really deeply think about this and how it's integrated into our lives. And when you like rewind to that moment where you met these people, where you're integrated into this new group with your husband, I would rewind to when I was like a a junior or so in high school. And I remember kind of being the same, like I was really judgmental towards people who were like partying and drinking. I'm like, Oh, those guys, like they're like, they think they're so cool, blah, 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 blah. But on a visceral level, like I wanted to be cool and I wanted to fit in. And I felt myself really, really standing out in a way that didn't feel comfortable to me, like in the weirdo way. Right. And so at some point it just clicked like, Oh, if I want to fit in, I need to do the thing that those people are doing in order to be accepted. And so it went from me judging them to like, also really just, you know, needing to have friends because we need camaraderie and, you know, connection and me thinking that that's what was going to get it. And it did on some surface level, but the problem is at such a young age. So I was like, what, like 17, 18, I calibrated my energy to that group. And the problem is I didn't have the, um, 
the opportunity to choose. I lived in a small town, you know, very similar to you. You had, if you wanted to date this person, you needed to be friends with his friend. So I didn't have the opportunity to choose my circle. So what I had to do was fit into the circle that was provided to me. But then I forgot that there were any other options and that became my circle. So then when I went to college, when I graduated college, I was always looking for that same group of people who I knew at 17 were not my people. I knew it, but because I chose to like kind of manipulate myself, brainwash myself and dilute myself to fit in. And not that they were bad people or anything. None of them are bad, wrong, or evil. They just had different priorities. And that's the, the like social expectation I carried on throughout life until I finally realized like, wait a second, I actually don't think these are my people. And by that point I'm in my thirties and it's intimidating because then you have to what rediscover who you are, figure out if you can keep your friends, figure out if you need to have new friends. And it's almost sickening. It's really frustrating, but it is something that if you, if you or someone you're working with has had the intelligence to like question, are these my people? Is this what I should be doing? Like, that's a really big aha moment. That's like a big wake up moment in someone's life for them to question, whoa, have I been doing the wrong things and hanging out with the wrong people this entire time? And it's actually like really cool to watch someone go through that, even though it's obviously really difficult for any of us to choose to reorganize our lives in that way. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I would like to say you, like, you don't have to fit in any box. Like you literally mm-hmm. create your box and it can yeah. be as big as you want, as small as you want, as like movable as you want. It could not be of cardboard. Like you can literally just cultivate whatever it is that you want. And mm-hmm. Um, a people will come to you, right? It's like the mm-hmm. fear of, well, if I cut these people out or I start making different choices, again, like, will I still relate to them? And it's like, oh mm-hmm. shit, I'm 30. I'm 20, not, I'm going to be 29 next mm-hmm. month. <laughs> I always have to think about that. Like, wait, how old? Oh, me too. <laughs> I still feel like I'm like 20 in some ways, maybe mm-hmm. 17, but like, I thought I knew more when I was 17, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> um, but um, it's massively intimidating. Meanwhile, every because we think we should have had it figured out. We think we should have been like Sex in the City people. We had our core group of people. We mm-hmm. all left. We have money. We're struggling here. We have support. And it's just easy. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. the people that you grew up with, you probably no longer resonate with. Mm-hmm. You probably grew out of that. And if you didn't, there are aspects of you that know that you have grown. Mm-hmm. And people can grow with you and come with you and stuff like that. And you can change your relationship with people if you want to versus just cutting them out. Um, but it's like, it's not when you know that everybody else is in the same boat and we're all Mm -hmm. just as confused at 30, at 40, at 50, you know, like my mom's like, I only figured my life out at 55 after a divorce, Mm -hmm. I'm widowed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Most of my clients are in their forties. They are having Mm -hmm. that like midlife, like, oh my gosh, where the, how the hell did I get here? And is this where I really belong? Yeah. That's interesting. I, I love the fact that you serve, um, women in that age group because most of us mm-hmm. really serve women that are younger typically mm-hmm. right um and so what would you say to um health coaches or just coaches in general who are seeing this pattern in their clients that you know um whether it's weight loss is the driver or whatever the external mm-hmm. desire is um but they notice that alcohol and just their habits around that their habits of going out and connecting in ways that truly aren't serving them? Like, what would you say to them to like, look for approach, like kind of all of, all of that realm, whatever comes to your Mm -hmm. mind? Yeah. So, so many things like I, I want to talk to the health coach themselves and then to what they would say to the client, because so frequently, and this is such a frustrating thing that I see all the time. I've been like scrolling through reels and I'll see yoga teacher teachers or dietitians. Um, people who are guiding someone's health experience talk about, um, you know, everything in moderation, basically like, here's how you do this and still have your wine. And it's so infuriating because I know, and I I'm saying this so lovingly, because if you've done this, I get it because I was there once too. I wanted to believe that everything in moderation was an okay philosophy. But the reason I clung to that is because I so badly didn't want to examine my own behaviors. I wanted to have this thing in my life, even though there was a sense that it was not healthy for me. 
So if you are teaching that or drawn to that message because it's very seductive, it's you can have everything. Um, I want you to pause and I want you to say, wait, why am I falling victim to this narrative? And have I perpetuated this in my clients? Because oh, there's nothing more frustrating than watching that person fill someone, a vulnerable person's head with, you can lose weight and still drink, or you can do this and still drink. And it's just so like, why is that your priority? Why, why is this thing that is, we all took a dare class. You know, if you're us based, you took that class in fifth grade where they taught you that alcohol, like rots your organs. We know it's not good for you, but so we choose to. So I, I want you to first examine your own relationship with alcohol and ask, is there a reason I'm not addressing this with my clients? And the reason your doctor or your therapist doesn't is because alcohol misuse, one of the most pervasive places is within the health world because people are so stressed out from all of the pain and suffering they have to deal with that they numb it out. So I know it, I get it. And I want you to pause and say, am I teaching or demonstrating something that could be destructive? And do I have an opportunity as a person to up-level myself as a practitioner and as an individual? Because I will tell you, I have been able to show up for myself and other people in the most profound ways by not having alcohol in the way. I am so clear-headed. I am a channel for messages. I am able to show up in ways that I could have never expected just because I've removed this thing from my life. And so that's the first thing. Um, the second is talking about the moderation conversation. I just want to debunk a couple of things because I'm so surprised that this really isn't taught in traditional nutrition environments. Um, I have a really good friend who owns a very successful nutrition business and we were talking one day about drinking and because she doesn't drink much or often, it just doesn't occur to her to teach about it. And I was like, well, you know, alcohol completely inhibits you from achieving any goal that you want to achieve. And she's just like flabbergasted. So let me give you the armchair expert explanation because I'm not a doctor. I'm not a dietitian. I'm not a scientist, but alcohol is something, it's like a barrier that you put in your body. And because it's a foreign substance, because it's a poison, like it's literally ethanol mixed with sugar so that you can tolerate the taste because it's a poison. Your body does not know how to process it. Therefore, no matter what you put in on top of alcohol, so you see all of these drinks that have like antioxidants or whatever in it, no matter what you put in on top of alcohol, I'm doing like visual cues here, but you can't see them. Um, alcohol is going to stay in your body because your body does not know how to process it. And your body is instead going to hyper-process all of the things it recognizes. So the vitamins you're drinking or the vitamins you're taking or whatever, the supplements you're taking and the water you're drinking, the reason you have to pee so much when you drink is because your body is freaking out. It doesn't know what to do with all this fluid and it has a whole bunch of fluid that it doesn't know how to process. So instead what it does is going to hyperdrive and processes all of the things that it knows what to do with. So instead of getting the alcohol out of your system with the water, what you're doing is actually just flushing the water through because that's all your body recognizes. Okay. So that means that any sort of action that you take to better your health while you're drinking is completely counterproductive. All right. Um, but not only that is that alcohol isn't just out of your system, like snap after you're done, after your hangover, your drunkenness is gone because it's a foreign substance. Your body is constantly struggling to figure out how to flush it through. So, um, it's almost like you're processing alcohol through a funnel, but the top is really big and the bottom is the size of a pin. So even though you think that it's depleting from your body, it's really dropping out of your body like a trickle, a drip. So there's always a buildup of alcohol in your system. So unless you've taken a very significant break from drinking, it's highly unlikely that you've ever completely rid your system of alcohol. And therefore, you're not going to experience the great benefits that people tell you like the weight loss and the better sleep and the higher energy, because there's still like a residual alcohol store within your system. Right? So by teaching people that you can drink in moderation and achieve results, you're leaving out some really important facts that we've been in denial about with alcohol. And, you know, if you really want someone to get great results, I would say that take out the thing that's the barrier. It's like, all the other stuff you're doing would be magnified if you didn't have the problem of alcohol in the way. So that's one side of that rant is just like, it's just a, an ineffective argument for health practitioners to 
stick behind, right? But the other part is you just have to be sensitive because all of this I'm saying to you very bluntly because I'm assuming that we're all highly evolved people who can handle someone like dropping a bomb on them. But people are so tightly attached to the identity that they formed with alcohol that giving it up is extremely scary. Okay. And so even if you are suggesting they do it to reach a goal, they're still going to be in denial. They're still going to be afraid. They're still going to wonder if people think that they're, um, you know, addicted or whatever. And they're going to have these like scripts running in the back of their minds. So you have to be really gentle if you are, um, offering it to them. And I think that the best way to make a suggestion is to be an example. So I would say that if you want to up-level your clients, the first way to do that is to up-level yourself and to give it a try, give it a try on your own and just start to share what a difference it makes because you'll see that difference And the best. So in my mind, the best way to encourage a behavior change is to go first. Mm, yeah, I love that. And I love how you approach it from like two different sides, like one, like the metabolic side, and then one, the side of like, Hey, you're going to work with a human mm-hmm. that is petrified to give up things that give them comfort mm-hmm. because of what's underneath. Right. Yeah. Um, it's interesting as a, a person who studied metabolism a lot, we maybe had hmm, like a few paragraphs of like two different alcohol uh, metabolism pathways. Mm-hmm. EOS, so I don't fucking remember what the hell that stands for. And something EOS, it's, am I making these up? I don't know what the acronym stands They're for. They're coming back to you, so it must be yeah, real. Somebody real. can correct me. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, you see, I can't even fucking tell you what it is, you know? Mm-hmm. I just know that one gets stronger the more that you drink to become a faster pathway because your body is really smart at getting things into some sort of a balance, even if that balance isn't actually full homeostasis, it's just what it can fucking handle. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And to say that you don't feel different when you do drink versus when you don't drink, even one glass is, even just the act of having it is Mm -hmm. something that shifts your state. Yeah. um, Even just the act of like holding it. And I think the biggest challenge for me, someone that has, um, I think back in March, I had went a full like six months or February, February, Jan- no, January, whatever it was. Um, I went a full six months having nothing, having no mm-hmm. weed, having no alcohol. Um, and then it was just like this kind of like every time I would go out to eat, I felt like I was missing something. Mm-hmm. I felt like, but I would love a mar. Like I'm getting Mexican food. Of course I'm going to get margarita. Like the association mm-hmm. that we have. And then like the thought of getting um, a non-alcoholic drink was the most foreign thing to me mm-hmm. because I associated almost alcohol with like a purpose. Like, well, at mm-hmm. least I'm going to drink calories to get drunk yep. versus now I'm just going to drink sugar. And what the fuck is the point of that? Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. He came into my life and I'm just the person drinking tea all the time. Uh-huh. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was just interesting. This sense of like, um, left outness. So when Mm -hmm. you are approaching clients, sure, you can spew all the science you want, but Mm -hmm. they don't really, it's not going to land for them. They want to know what it's actually going to make them feel. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think the best way, like you said, to do it is to do it yourself. Right. And I always Mm -hmm. say that as you grow as a human, so does your business. And Mm -hmm. you listening to this right now have an opportunity to just really reassess your relationship to alcohol specifically or any usage and really be intentful and real with yourself, you know, and Mm -hmm. the more you cut it out, the more you notice when you would actually go to grab a drink. Mm -hmm. And it's always when you're stressed, when you're feeling a lack of connection, at least those are the two Mm -hmm. that make connection is a really big thing for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, you said something really interesting on your Instagram a while, a while ago or something like that, where it was like, women and sexiness, mm-hmm. like having it bring out that like sexy, confident version of you. Mm-hmm. And it really hit home for me because like you hear us like all have like really good sex when we are drunk, um, depending on like the circumstances, <laughs> you know, really awful sex. Right. I've heard some horror stories. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's so real how we search for this like thing 
externally to make us feel sexy Mm -hmm. and it brings out this side of us but it's it's like it's just i'm curious to know what you think but in my mind it's like it's already within you so Mm -hmm. oh yeah to bring it out you get to just tap into that just no longer using alcohol and Mm -hmm. i feel like that's harder to accept when you are sober because we associate with being slutty or a whore or, you know, like wanting attention. And it's like, mm-hmm. yes, I want to be a slut for my husband. Yes, I want attention from my husband or whoever it is. Like you're allowed that in like your own way. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's what I kind of like took from it. And that really resonated with me. So I'm curious to know your experience with it, your client's experience. And I know other people who are listening to this have definitely felt that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's really interesting because we do, you know, I, I call this kind of like the paradigm, the Carrie Bradshaw effect, because I grew up and I think you are like of that same generation that you grew up like on the cusp of the the sex in the city craze. And so here I have this example, like you said, of all these women who are so tightly knit together, they're dressed to the nines. They're living this fabulous life. They have handsome men, like you know, always at their beck and call. And so of course my young mind, I know that shows a fictional, but there's some truth to it. So I take on, if I want to be a sexy, confident woman, I've got to get a, you know, a martini or a Cosmo, or I've got to be drinking. They are one in the same. It one creates the other. And that's not true. And if anything, um, you know, you're creating a false sexiness, right? You're faking it. And so you're not allowing that real thing to come true or come through, but more importantly, alcohol completely shuts down all of your sex organs. And Oops, just a second. I got a cough. We will be right back. <laughs> Ooh, that one like overwhelms me. I don't know if you can see my eyes just like fill up with water. It just snuck up out of nowhere. Um, but alcohol completely like inhibits all of your, your sexual exchange. So for the man, it makes it to where, you know, things don't work quite the same. We've all heard like whiskey dick and all of those things. And then for the women, it's dehydrating you. So you can't properly self-lubricate. You can't, you know, properly feel everything because it's numbing your sensation, um, centers. And so this thing that we think is actually helping us, if we just tried to do it without it, we'd actually find out that we're quite good, you know, on our own. We're quite like proficient, but because we wanted to slip into this persona, we have, convinced ourselves that we need something to help us get into character, to loosen our inhibitions, to give us liquid courage, to like, you know, just kind of relax us a little bit, but ultimately it's completely doing the opposite. It's making us fake it. Um, and probably making it to where the sex isn't as good as we've imagined. Yeah. Like maybe we're being wild and crazy, but your pleasure centers are shut down. So you're not actually experiencing everything to the full effect. And it's, it's just so hard to think of all of the things that you do with alcohol that you think are dependent on alcohol to get there. There are actually just areas where you don't have practice. You've never learned to have sex and act sexy and be sexy without alcohol. Therefore you think you can't do it, but it's actually just, you've never had practice and you just need practice and will practice be awkward sometimes. Yeah. It's like anything learning to do it the first few times is awkward, but as you do it, you build your confidence because you get better and you become more comfortable. And that's where real confidence comes from is knowing that you can do it yourself. You don't need something else or someone else to help you, which is pretty freaking badass. Mm, yeah. I also see that as like a lot of health coaches help women with their confidence, right? You start treating mm-hmm. yourself better. You start showing up for yourself. Um, I think at this point, most of my following knows that confidence is an internal thing and isn't an external body change because we've all mm-hmm. been there where we needed to get the body. We got the body and still felt like shit about ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we've like, yep. all been there for the most part. Um, but it's like, if you are someone helping people become more confident in themselves and they are still relying on a substance to feel more confident or anything external to feel more confident, like there is a disconnect between true confidence, right? It's the mm-hmm. same thing with like self-love. It's not an external mm-hmm. thing. It's an unconditional thing. Your love yeah. for yourself doesn't change based off of anything. If it, if your love changes, it's not unconditional, which is not love. Mm-hmm. Right? We're not talking about love in that case. And so I think that adding this area to your life and integrating um, whatever form of um, soberness in your life is true for you, I think would be a great way to start to notice your own patterns. And then once you Mm -hmm. notice your own patterns and see where you can take yourself, then Mm -hmm. you can... um, 
uh, do it with your clients. Yeah. One thing that I struggled with as a business owner was I used to write the best content when I was drunk on an airplane. Mm. I've also done some very shady things on an airplane while drunk, sexual things. Um, so not my proudest moments in the mm-hmm. world. <laughs> yep. I'm always like searching Google for like, or YouTube for like woman on a plane, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Haven't found it yet. So if anybody knows, please send it to me so I could just be mortified for myself. But (laughs) I don't need that to justify how mortified I am, but moving on. Um, But content creation, (laughs) I digress. Content creation is something that I was just always more creative when Mm -hmm. it would just flow and like the ideas would come and all of this stuff and it would always get good engagement. I was like, Oh my goodness. This is, so I started good content writing with being drunk <laughs> or at least tips. Yeah. You yeah, know? totally. And then once I took it, I was like, Oh fuck. Now I need to tap into this in myself. How can I create that same level of freedom and excitement and passion for mm-hmm. what I'm writing without alcohol? And that was a challenge, but it's a challenge every day, content creation, but it's something. Yeah. That I love. And it's just like, it's the same thing with health. If you like you really love when your body feels almost like pure in that state of like, you're eating really well. You've cut out a lot of the crap, if not all of the crap. And that's another thing with moderation, like um, understanding that, you know, sure things in moderation can be good for you and you can achieve things, but is it necessary? Like, is that one of your values to be able to like deep values? Does it really serve Mm -hmm. you to be able to consume that? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like allowing yourself to really explore values with yourself and values with your clients, I think is one of the most impactful um, ways of going about like realignment, you know, so yeah. you know what your experience has been around um, challenges with clients and tools with clients that you really use to help get them into that space. Yeah. You know, I think one of the biggest things is just the desire to deny deny that this is something that could make an impact on your life. Deny that this is something that you need to change or that you want to change. And here's the deal. Not everyone is intended to go through this life as an alcohol-free person. I'm not here to, to like preach abstinence or, you know, whatever. I think that there are certain people in this life who they're just here to party and have fun and that's their dharma in this lifetime. And that's cool. So if it doesn't resonate with you, that's fine. But if you have a little desire that seems incongruent with your, with your ways of behaving. If you have this little desire, a little curiosity of what your life could be like without alcohol, that's an indication to me that you're meant to explore it. You don't get ideas planted in your head by your like inner knowing your inner wisdom at random. That inner wisdom speaks up and whispers to you when it has just the little opening to get in and give you a message. So even, you know, I would just have you reflect really, you know, am I hearing this message and trying to tell it to shut up because I'm afraid of what I would have to do in order to make this change? I'm afraid of who I would have to become or what I would have to give up or what I would have to sacrifice um, or who I would have to be in the world. And, you know, the ultimate answer is that if, if you've heard, if you've heard it and it feels interesting to you, then explore it. Um, if you've heard it and it feels like you feel resistant, definitely explore it because your resistance is all is almost always your ego, like keeping you safe from something that could make you ultimately very successful. Right. Um, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with the ego, the way that I approach it is it is not the part of you that likes to be like boastful in that part. Like that is egoic, but the ego is the part of you that is fear, that is separation, that is difference that wants you to stay small um, and stay stuck. And what better way to keep you stuck than by telling you, brainwashing you to believe that something that's really bad for you is actually something that's necessary in your life. So if you feel that kind of weird feeling happening when you hear, Hey, why don't you know, take a break from alcohol, take 90 days break from alcohol. And you hear like this voice saying, Oh no, that's really weird. That's stupid. That's an indication that maybe you should be looking at it. So, you know, your values are interesting because sometimes your values, you cling on to a value that's put there by your ego to keep you stuck. Not because your soul actually, whoops, I got so impassioned. I like slammed the table, not because your soul actually values it, but because your ego wants it there. So you don't progress in the way that you could progress. So I hope that made sense for everyone. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And the more as I've learned, the more like 
in tune you become with yourself in stillness and silence mm-hmm. um the more your values will almost change mm-hmm. you know i've written value lists like two years ago that were very heavy on my ego and i want to create yeah Yep. Yeah. Very like materialistic and yeah. all those things. Totally been there. Yeah. And I'm just like, uh, uh. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. And so it's, it's like, it's not just like one thing and you're going to be able one session, you're going to be able to say, okay, these are true. These are true and in alignment with my blah, blah, blah. Like you'll think that they are, that's why you're creating mm-hmm. it. But that, that constant searching, that constant inner kind of digging you know, makes all of the difference in terms of what you value, how you live your life, right? Um, And for me as a human, I just value like constant growth, which means that I'm constantly peeling back layers. It used to be like, I'm constantly learning more from external surfaces or sources. And now it's like, I'm constantly digging for more and peeling back layers um, so I can understand myself better and grow that way and integrate more. And it's just like, not letting the process of overthinking get in the way, you know, mm-hmm. or perfecting it get in the way. And like you said, just exploring it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's beautiful. Um, before I ask my few final questions are, is there anything else that you feel like we did not touch upon? That's really true to you. That's really true to your teachings and that you believe that at least the health industry in the world overall just really needs to, to hear. Yes, yes, there is. So, um, actually a lot of the women who I work with are health practitioners in some ways, they're life coaches. Um, I actually work with several people who are dietitians, yoga, yoga teachers, people who are in the wellness and giving and teaching industry. And this is something that is coming up as an incongruency for them, right? They feel like a, um, a imposter because they're teaching all of these mindfulness things and they are some of the worst at checking out. And so they start to feel a little embarrassed and ashamed, but yet they can't figure out how to get themselves out of the spiral. So I just want to speak directly to the health entrepreneur who's listening, who that kind of feels like you, you feel like an imposter because you are teaching other people how to make their lives better. Yet you are doing something that you know is destructive in your life. And I want to, I want to say, I feel you, I see you because that was me. And that is so many of the women who I work with and that what is one thing that I would, that I would have you recognize is there's probably a past purpose to the reason if you're a drinker that you've engaged with alcohol. And, um, I could go on and on about that, but it's probably had a utility at some point in your life. But now that you are stepping into being this version of you, who's here to be a helper, it is so important that if you are questioning or wondering about a decision about a substance or something that's in your life, and if it is getting in the way of what you're doing, it is so important that you investigate that. And I will tell you firsthand from my own life and from the lives of so many of the women that I worked with, that everything in my life, every single aspect of it has been monumentally better. Once alcohol came out of the picture, my business took off. I was financially started to be abundant. I started to be a magnet for abundance, a magnet for congruent friendships, a magnet for clients who were my ideal client, not just some like person off the street who I had to like, we've all had that client. Who's like, why did I take this person's money? I actually don't want to work with them. Those people started to fade into the background and only people who were true matches who wanted to show up and do the work and get results started to show up at my doorstep. As I stepped into this person that didn't need anything outside of myself to show up, I became better and everything in my life became better. I can't tell you, I mean, I'm living a life that five years ago, I thought was just a fantasy. And now everything that I want is either here or it's within grasp. And I know that for you listening as an entrepreneur, you have big things that you want. And if they're not quite there yet, I want you to consider what you could remove from your life, possibly alcohol. If you're a drinker, maybe it's something else for you, but I want you to know what power that would give you and how much more quickly everything you want would show up for you in your life. If you just showed up for yourself first. And it's some powerful shit. Like I've never, I've never seen so many wild things show up for people so quickly as when they stop drinking. Mm, I love that. It's like when you remove the false sense of security, 
this like holding on to something that gives you something, right? Something mm-hmm. external. You and you let go of that. You allow more to come in, right? In order to receive something, we typically are are easier. Essentially, we have to let go of stories. We have to let go of things underneath mm-hmm. that, right? Yeah. That. And I love that. I think yeah. it's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Of that. course. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I always ask two questions at the end of my podcast. It's corny, but I do it anyway. Um, what do you feel like the world needs to thrive, to heal or whatever thriving really means to you? Mm-hmm. I think it's simple. The world needs you awake. The world needs you showing up as your most attuned, awake, embodied, expressed, authentic self. And we need that now more than ever in a world where we've been shown that so many people are ready to check out and be divisive and be divided, the world needs you awake so that you can show up fully and greatly for yourself and others. And we've needed, we need that now more than ever. Mm, I love that. So beautiful. Mm -hmm. And then last question, Miss Amanda, what makes you thrive? Like right now, what is in your life? Um, Or do you practice or whatever that means for you? What makes you thrive? You know what? It's, it's conversations like this and conversations with my clients and conversations with people who are ready to step up and up level, because every time I have a conversation with someone else, it's, you know, it's connection. And this is the first time in my life that I've known true, deep and intellectual and intimate connection with people. Um, so much of my life before was such surface level conversation and having the ability to show up and connect with people helps me to see their light, but also helps to see mine in the process. And it's just like a beautiful reciprocal thing happening everywhere. And yeah, it's so cool. So anytime that I feel like down or that I'm having a bad day, one of the best things of course is to go within and you know, that whole thing, um, which is true, but it's also to be of service to someone else and to support someone else. And so I'm getting to do that every day. I get to support women through podcasts like this. I get to support people through direct coaching and the things that I do. And it's just really fulfilling and it, it helps me grow and lights me up. So awesome. Mm, I love that. So powerful. Yeah. Um, and where can everybody find you besides your Instagram? We'll link it down below. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, anywhere else that you would like to send people? Yeah, I am at Amanda Kuda on Instagram, amandacuda.com on the internet. Most of my hangouts are done on Instagram. I don't do really any of the other social media. So if you resonated with something I said today, just stop by and say, hi, I'd love to hear from you. Hey, I love that. Definitely screenshot this episode and tag us. I will put all of her information down below, including her website. Definitely reach out to her. She has some of the funniest, but like most real relation, like quotes. That's not a sense, but we're going to go with it um, (laughs) on her Instagram. And it just reiterates a lot of what you already know. And it's brilliant content. And we are super, super grateful to have you and your gifts in the world. Um, And yeah, stay tuned for her book coming out soon, whenever we know that. Um, But definitely follow her. Let us know if you have any questions and we will see you in the next episode. Yay. Thanks, Johnny. Yeah.